Welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, a weekly podcast for BJJ enthusiasts who are striving to succeed both on and off the mats. This podcast is brought to you by Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. And here are your hosts on the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. That's another thing is that I'm grateful for Jiu-Jitsu because um, I wasn't do like I, I don't do a lot of jujitsu throughout the week. So I yeah. look forward to our Saturday yeah. trainings. Yeah. And so not only was I missing like friendship and, uh, you know, um, the conversations that we have, I was yeah. missing our jujitsu training yeah. Right? Yeah. and taking all those things for granted. I was it, it became Saturdays became normal. Right. It yeah. just became a normal part of the routine. Yeah. And you take routine for granted sometimes. And I know I was. And then we didn't train for like three weeks. Yeah. And, um, man, I was like, oh, I forgot how much I really appreciate this. You yeah, know? me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. And it's like I was telling you, man, just uh, a month of not training and, and, you know, somebody like Brandon training smart with the right people, learning the right stuff. It's like, ooh, man, you get off that. Uh, it's like one of those those escalate, like the things they have in the airport, like the Phoenix airport, where it's the, uh, the whatever, the mobile sidewalk thing, whatever you want to call it, like a it's an escalator, but it's flat. Um, it's like you get off that and then all of a sudden you're like, oh man, this thing's moving pretty fast. <laughs> like I'm going to, I'm falling behind. So yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I mean, there is it, everything in life, business, whatever is always give and take. Yeah. And I think in training, it's the same thing, right? Like when, depending on what you're training for, you're going to give and you're going to take, if you're training for competition, then yeah. you're going to have to, uh, give up a lot of your time. Yep. Uh, or if you're if you're training to be competitive, MMA, whatever, just to be at a high level, to be better, right? Let's say you're an instructor even and you want to be better. Yeah. Um, then you're going to have to give up a lot of your time and you're going to have to risk your body a lot more. That's, that's just the, that's the nature of the game, right? And then the – and but what you get back in return is, yeah, you're the nail a lot of the times, but in a, in a small pond, right? And you get in or, – or, or into a big pond. And then you go into a small pond in a, nor- in a normal environment with normal human beings, and you're just you're, – you're, you're the hammer, right? Yeah. Um, and for me, like I'm, I'm just uh, – you know, um, I'm okay being, uh, being where I'm at, I guess. You, you know, I, th- like, cause I, I don't want to risk – I don't have a job that requires me to risk injury or health or anything like that. And I just can't push it as hard as I used to. You know what I mean? Or I could – but it just takes me a long time to recover. And that's where I find that I get a lot of my injuries um, yeah. because my mind uh, is not as in my, my mind is not as old as my body. Let's put it that yeah. way. Right. Yeah, it's, it's so true how, how that's one of the things that's been really interesting to me about getting older is that because I don't feel old at all. Like it's weird. Like when I'm talking to people, the only reason I can tell that, like, okay, so I went to a party with my wife um, yesterday. We went to two parties, actually. Very social. And I got to hang out with you. Very social day. And uh, we went to this first party, and I was probably about 10 years older than most of the people there. And it was weird because, you know, you're talking, you're, like, doing whatever, and it's there's only, like, little moments where I realize I'm like, oh, man, I'm, like, way older. Like, there's a picture on the wall, like, the husband and wife from, like, 2011, and they're, like, super young. And I'm like, Oh, okay. There are a lot of, or, or like I'll yeah. catch a glimpse of myself in the mirror, or like in, in a, like a reflection or whatever. And I'll see them. I'm like, who's that old? Oh, that's me. 
Um, but, it, but it's like, but you don't feel. <laughs> Who invited the old guy? Oh, wait, oh, that's me. It's weird. It's like, so it's like, you don't, I don't feel old. I can just tell that I'm older by the way people react around me. Like when I meet younger people and sometimes like you start talking about stuff and they start doing the like, uh-huh, uh-huh, like the polite, like, please go away thing. I'm like, why does that seem so familiar? Oh yeah. I used to do that when annoying old, oh, I'm the annoying old person now. Yeah. Like when, when your grand, when your grandmother's around or yeah. something and you're just like, uh-huh. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's, but, but I'm going to go back to my room now and play Nintendo. Yeah. But it's like, I don't feel old. You know what I mean? Like if, if I didn't see how I looked in the mirror, I wouldn't think that I was old. So yeah. it's, it is, it is a weird thing that, like you said, your, your mind doesn't think you're as old as your body does sometimes. And that's yeah. So yeah, it's and that is that is hazardous in jujitsu. <laughs> be dangerous. And, yeah, and for some reason, I don't, you know, I'm gonna throw you in there with me, so that way uh, I'm not just humiliating myself. Uh-huh. But we're like we're the dumbest people in the world because you and I both have the same problem: is that we never learn this lesson. No. Like we're the hardest person to teach this lesson to. Like yeah. we we know what we're, it's and and we've talked about this before. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over again and getting different results. You and yeah. I are the craziest people in the world because we know what the problem is. And we continue to do it somehow thinking things are going to be different the second time around. And no, they're not. I, you, just, you just get injured again. And and, uh. <laughs> and it's, well, I think the problem is, is it's so hard, you know, like a lot of things in life, like when you, when the stars align and you have time to train and your body feels good, it's like, man, you know, when, when the sun's out, make hay while the sun's shining, right? Because yeah. Injuries come up, and then sometimes there's a lot of other things come up that just prevent you from being able to train. And like you said, it's for for us, it's not just the training. I think I think the, the training is probably like 20% of the enjoyable thing. To me, the 80% is, you know, hanging out with your friends, talking like talking about all sorts of other stuff besides training, BSing after training, like going off on tangents, trying to figure out like whatever ridiculous fight scenario we've somehow decided is super important and super likely to happen even though we both live in the suburbs i mean like i don't know what we're thinking but we're like oh what if this guy attacks with like that's always that that to me is the enjoyable part i mean the training is part of it but it's like we could do all that stuff and not train and it still would be almost as fun so it you know it's just it's like sometimes when that doesn't happen for a while it's like well I don't know when this is going to happen again. Cause like you said, you start taking it for granted and then a couple things pop up, you don't get the chance. So then it's like, well, you know, my body's saying it's 50, 50, but my, my mind is saying it's 90, 10. So I'm going to go yeah. with my, my mind on this one. <laughs> you know? For sure. Dude, I tell you, I think you hit the nail on the head because that is so true. We let life get in the way and it's a matter of like, you cannot let life get in the way or Rather, you can't stop from life getting in the way. It just happens, and you have to react to those situations. So you're right. When you have the opportunity, you have to take advantage of it and recognize it. Yeah, I agree. Hey, I don't know about you, though, but we have, at least for me, the best business conversations after training. For for some reason, I don't know what it is. Usually, I would think that because I'm so exhausted from – the butt kicking you've just given me that I, I would not be able to remember my own name. But for some reason, it's like, no, these are a, a lot of really uh, great ideas. And I, and uh, one of the things that we were talking about yesterday, and I and this is true, man, and I hope a lot of people that are entrepreneurs and, and, and business people, because even if it doesn't happen, yeah. for, for, wait, what's the what's the old saying? I was trying to remember this today. I was trying to tell my wife about it, about uh, an ounce of prevention is better than pound of cure. A pound of cure. That's it. There you go. Yeah. And 
it was, it, you know, if we were talking about a recession and how we know one is coming. Yeah. And yeah. even if a recession doesn't come, which you have to be, I'm going to just say, you got to be stupid if you think one's not coming. Whether it comes tomorrow or a year from now or two years from now, one is going to eventually come, right? Yes. Because yes. markets and business and life and the seasons, it's all cyclical, right? Yes. Cycles. And they yes. will repeat themselves. Um, and so it is in your best interest that to be prepared and have that prevention in place. Hey, if it never happens, great, right? Yeah. But it's better to have that plan and not need it than to need it and not have it. And so I was telling my wife, I was like, look, this is usually what happens. And so we have to prepare for this um, uh, for for if and when it does. So yeah. first, what happens is that and this is just my 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 understanding of of my reading my experience in life you know being be that's the one thing about you know being older is you you've seen it happen already a couple times that's what they call it wisdom right yeah. so here's what usually happens there's inflation too much money in circulation yeah. um and this can cause a lot of problems right so the federal government trying to curb that will go ahead and begin to increase uh interest rates now, the reason why they do that is because they want to encourage people to save. When they increase interest rates, usually what happens is that banks make it very difficult or harder to lend out money. Yep. So because it's harder to obtain money from the banks, consumers will stop spending money. Yeah. Then yeah. what happens when consumers stop spending money is businesses start making less profits because the consumer is no, more, is no longer buying product as much as they were. Yeah. When the businesses begin to make less profit, they begin to lay people off. Yeah. And this is what causes uh, the beginnings of your recession. And yeah. I don't even want to use the word depression, but whatever is, is to come, right? And yeah. so um, we've already seen the first uh, we've already seen the beginning. The pandemic has caused uh, a lot of inflation, a lot of uh, printing of money, right? Yep. Too much money in circulation. Um, and now in order to combat this and, and kind of um, make sure that the U.S. dollar stays the, 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 the world's reserve currency and it, it maintains its strength, yep. right? Because a lot of times the U, um, whoever's uh, currency is the reserve currency is usually who's the one in power, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, so it's in, it's within the interest of the United States to make sure that that is the U.S. dollar and it remains the U.S. dollar. So uh, you're seeing, you know, the first increase and uh, uh, and there's supposed to be six. Right. Yeah. And and then it's so funny because you you uh, we were we got done training. You were like, hey, Mo, I know firsthand banks are already starting to make it a little bit more difficult to yeah. get money. And this is the beginning. This is the beginning of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's so. Um, man, it was funny because I closed on a deal a little over a month ago. I think it was around like the 15th of uh, February. And man, it was like just smooth sailing the whole way. It's like one of those things where you don't often get deals where everything just kind of lines up and works out really well. And this one did, like including the way the lenders were. It was just like, oh, man, this is great. Whatever you want, 20% down, fine. It's going to be, you know, four and a Four and a half percent interest. Oh, you want interest only for a year? And this oh. is on a commercial deal. Yeah. And it was yeah. like, you want interest only for a year? Good. Take it. You know, like all this, like whatever I asked for, they they were just offering stuff I wasn't even asking for. 
And, you know, the lender was like, let's meet before the closing. And he's just, you know, all excited. And I was like, hey, I already got a tenant. Oh, my God. Like, you know, it was, it was a great, you know, I felt uh, I felt a bond there. I felt like, oh, this is good. I'm, I'm making progress. So then I, I come to them with this other deal um, about two weeks ago. It was like the around around the 10th of March, about two and a half weeks ago. And I, I knew it was more expensive and maybe a little bit more complicated, but still, like, given a lot of the parameters, it's I, I still thought it was a a good deal, maybe not a great deal, but a good deal. And man, it's like one of those things where, you know, you think you've made a bond with someone and then, and then like, they're just, they're, uh, I guess, ghosting you as people say nowadays or whatever. You're like, what happened? Well, what did I do? You know, cause it was all of a sudden that Mr. Friendly was kind of elusive and he's like, oh, well, uh, I'll, I'll run some numbers. And then like five days go by and he's like, well, what's the asking price? I'm like, I sent you the contract already. He's like, it's, it's this. He's like, oh, okay. Couple of days later, oh yeah, no, I just need one more. Well, what's that asking price again? I'm like, come on, man. Like it was just like this. I'm like, you're stalling. You're stalling on me. And it was so finally get the the terms, and it's like they don't want 20% down. They want 30% down. I'm not getting four and a half percent interest. I'm getting five and five and a quarter. Let me let me stop you right there, okay, Carter. So from your experience, yeah. You used to owner finance a lot of the single family homes that you owned. Yeah. And you would set higher interest rates. Why did you do that? Because it's more more risk on these situations. And and um so you know that was that was the thing. So I'm like, and, and you know, I, I I asked the lender, I'm like, well, listen, man, I mean, these are these are a lot different than the terms were a month ago. Like, what's happened? And he's like, well. You know, we've had the first rate hike, like you said, we're, we're anticipating getting five more this year. So six in total. Um, he's like, so lenders are getting nervous. We're starting to pull back. We're, we're wanting more money down. We're going to charge a higher interest rate. Um, we're going to have stricter terms in terms of like, we're not going to offer interest only and just all these different things. And, and I still couldn't tell. I'm like, well, is it, is it me or is it the deal? And I just, I never could really get an answer that that satisfied me. So I dropped out of the deal because I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not getting into deals where I feel like I have to talk somebody into it because especially a lender is a lot more experienced in this area than I am in terms of commercial property. Um, so I was like, okay, this is just taking too much convincing. So I'm just going to stop. Um, but it is substantially harder to get a loan. And the re and I, and I really believe that the reason why l lenders, uh, banks, are more stringent and uh, on giving out money is because they're looking at that trickle effect, right? Yeah. So they they where there you could be someone could be asking, well, where's the risk? Well, just go back to the story I told you that yeah. once uh, it's harder for people, it's harder for consumers to have money, right? Then consumers are going to spend less. Then yeah. businesses are going to start to lay off. Some businesses are going to go out of business. Yeah. This is what they're worried about from the commercial standpoint. Absolutely. That they're going to lend you money. You're going to bring in a tenant, which yeah. is your, your tenant's going to be a business owner because you do that's your, it's a, it's a commercial deal. Yeah. And they're, they don't know, you know, if the business is going to survive or not. If the business does not survive, what does that mean? It means you no longer have a tenant. And exactly. then they get worried about like, well, if Carter doesn't have a tenant, how is he going to pay us back? Because yeah. a lot of people do default on their loans during yeah. recessions. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I I agree, and I think the other thing I would add to that is that um, inherently I think that makes it so that prices will start leveling off, possibly even going down on things because people yes. 
it, you know, a lot of people still live by the idea of how much down, how much a month. That's what they look at in terms of when they're buying a car, a house, whatever it might be. Um, so that is when money, as they say, becomes more expensive. Like before, for a long time, we've had it where people say, well, money's cheap right now. And what they mean is that interest rates are low. Correct. When interest rates start going up, um, especially what's what's an interesting phenomenon I've been noticed in commercial world, um, more so in apartments than maybe uh, retail or, or office, is that the returns have gotten lower and lower for multifamily. You know, we were talking like a four and a half percent return, but they're getting the loan at like a two and a half or a three percent. But when that loan starts going up, now that three percent goes to four, four and a half percent on something that gives you a four and a half percent return. It's like now, now you're getting into dangerous math territory because a lot of these things every few years they will reevaluate um, whatever the you know prime or LIBOR or whatever sort of standard they use for judging their their baseline in the mortgage and the percentage rate and assuming that goes up in that time period that means your interest rate will go up after five years or seven years or whatever it is so what what gets dangerous there is that you know when people just think oh i can always refinance my property or it's gained value so i can refinance and, and pull money out of it as they say you're not really pulling money out of it you're borrowing money on your property and when you're borrowing money and you have to pay that back at a higher interest rate it just takes losing a job getting downsized a little bit losing hours at work whatever it might be that now that monthly income that you were relying on has gone down and that monthly payment that you have to pay has gone up. So that puts people in a precarious situation. So sort of long story short with all that, at first I was I was hurt. I took it personal. I was like, I can't believe they don't believe in me. Why don't they believe in me? And what, but it wasn't you they don't believe in. But, they don't, it's the uncertainty of the future. But in the words of, in the words of uh, George Costanza, oh no. It's me. Um, <laughs> but but then I started thinking about it. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. This actually presents an interesting opportunity because if I'm having trouble getting a loan, that means a lot more people are going to have trouble getting a loan. And this means potential buyers are going to be fewer, which means for sellers, this could start to be some trouble, which to me looks like opportunity because now just this idea that somebody's going to put something on the market and it's immediately going to sell. It's like, that may start to not happen as much. So now there's more room on the buying side to negotiate. And as you and I have talked about a lot, we love seller financing for a lot of reasons. We like to sell things with seller finance, but I also like to buy things with seller financing as well, because number one, you don't have to go through the bank and have this emotional experience that I just had where I was rejected, Mo. Rejected. Um, and number two, for the seller, it's a sort of compelling argument when you can say, you know, listen, you can make monthly income without the hassle of being a landlord. So you're not having to worry about, you know, ma maintenance and renovations and, and, you know, whatever it might be, like all that becomes my, my problem because it's my property. You just get a monthly check. And, you know, that that's a compelling argument for a lot of people, especially somebody who, in my mind, I'm looking for that burnout landlord. It's like, well, you know, this is taking all the hassle of landlording away, but leaving the one good thing was getting that monthly money. You, you get that. And, so, and, and it could be his only feasible choice. Yes. Due to the fact that 
You see, right now you go to people, and that's why the real estate market is not necessarily great for investors, especially here in the Austin area, is yeah. because people can pretty much ask for whatever they want because there's yeah. all this cheap money floating around, and they know that they'll get it, and they have been getting it, right? But once yeah. that cheap money goes away, then the, it, it does exactly what the government's anticipating, and it has a reciprocal effect in that so there's no longer any cheap money, which, like you said, means you can get loans for very low interest rates. Yep. So no more cheap money. Money becomes expensive, mm -hmm. but the actual products themselves go on discount. Yeah. Right? Now, who does that benefit, though? Okay. So he, again, when these products go on discount, what happens is businesses will have to sell things. At first, people are going to be like, wow, this is great. Gas prices are cheaper. Milk is cheaper. Bread is cheaper. Yeah. But there's always an effect that they're not seeing when the when when things when products that you're that you're normally buying are at a high price and they're cheaper. What that means for the business that's selling them is they're making less profits. Yeah. When they make less profits, they have to lay people off. When they have to lay people off, boom, we go right back into this whole cycle of you know a recession and, and things of that nature. So yeah. who does this benefit? And a lot of times I think about this a lot, Carter, because I used to hate this when I used to ask a mentor. What should I do or what is, you know, what? And they would say, well, it depends. Yeah. And there was never this clear answer. Yeah. I think this is one of the few scenarios where it doesn't depend. I really believe whether you're rich, whether you don't have a lot of money, the answer is the same. This is probably the one time where you're going to want to accumulate cash. Yeah. Cash yeah. will become king yeah. again. Yeah. And that is why the rich get richer and the poor get poor because rich people typically during when there's times, as they say, there's blood in the streets. Yeah. This is uh, the time where things go on discount and rich people have money to deploy yes. to buy assets at a discount. Yeah. Yeah. So the answer to this situation is start to save your cash, start to have cash. If you already have cash, then that's great. But if you're a guy that's living from check to check, start to put some money away, anticipate the future. Yeah. yeah. Cash yeah. will become king. Uh, these tangible assets that you and I both love, like real estate and business, yeah. they're going to uh, be sold at discounted prices. And you'll have an opportunity to, um, you know, uh, hopefully make some wealth. Yeah. And, and, and be able to move in and make offers. So silver lining, right? Yeah. For those that can anticipate this. Well, I, I, I'm still believing that I'm going to get this property. I'm just thinking I'm going to get it for a lot less than I had it under contract for. Because um, if I'm not able to buy it, I mean, I could have bought it, but it's like if it's already difficult and they're like, hey, listen, we can only lock this rate in for 60 days. That's not a lot of time to close on a commercial property. That's really pushing it. Just in terms of, let's put it this way, the bank's like, we can only hold the loan for or the interest rate for 60 days and we need at least six weeks to do an appraisal. So that starts pushing it pretty quick. I mean, six weeks is not 60 days, but it's it's pretty close. It's getting pretty close. So then it's like one of these things where the bank might do their appraisal. Now, what if it appraises for less? I've seen that happen before too. So now you might have to come up with more money or do whatever. And that point, maybe the 60 days are done, boom, the rate's up again. So this is going to be a problem for buyers, which means that there's going to be fewer buyers or at least really qualified buyers for this person to sell to, which at a certain point, it kind of makes your property worth less. 
I mean, it just does. I mean, we always talk about what things are worth and people do appraisals and blah, blah, blah. And you and I have always said, I don't care what anyone says something is worth. What can you sell it for? That's Real, it. That's what it's worth. What are people willing to pay for it? That's yeah. all that matters. That's all that matters. It's like say? Sit there and say, this is all, oh, it's worth a million bucks. Well, can you get that for it? Can you get that for it within 60 days or 90 days? For sure. Not like, oh, people are interested. I don't care about interest. What are they paying for it? Because I think that's going to be, to me, there's going to be more bargaining room as a buyer coming up. Let now, me, you know, I hear another thing, Carter, because I, we, growing up, I always knew that I, at some point I was going to get into real estate. I remember like being in the eighties and being very, very, very young and watching these cheesy commercials about buy my book. We don't even like have these like books anymore. Right? So everything's digital. And they were like, and I'm going to teach you how to buy property with no money down. And, yeah. and I, and I told yeah. myself, I said, one day. I'm going to do this. Yeah. I, I mean, at a very young age, I was maybe like 12 at the time. I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do an infomercial. And then I got a little bit older and I was like, man, this guy's a liar. He was just yeah. a scammer, you know, but it's, yeah. it's, it's not a scam. It is a hundred percent true during times like this. Yeah. There is a silver lining for people that don't really have money. When yeah. there is a bad economy, if you are a go-getter, if you are someone that can be creative yeah. and figure out how to solve problems, Yep. There are going to be people that are going to be willing to sell you their home, their yep. property. Yeah. They may live out of state and they have this second property over here that they don't want anymore. Yeah. And they're going to be willing to owner finance it to you. So you may not even have to bring a lot of money to the table yeah. Um, yeah. in order to get this property. But yeah. no one's going to give it to you. You, you know, like jujitsu, you got to you got to be like Brandon and, and put in the work. Oh, you got to be like Brandon and put in the work, man earn that Kimura, man. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting because, you know, I was out in, um, Lubbock back in, I think November. So I was out, you know, I got some property out there still and man, they were, it was interesting to see a lot of the mistakes I saw in like 2008, 2007 happening out there. Like, so what I mean is that Lubbock is just goes on forever. I mean, it's not a huge place, but it like, outside of Lubbock is basically nothing. So the ability to expand out is is almost infinite. And because of that, I'm seeing things get pushed further north and south, and they're starting to build like neighborhoods of duplexes that are getting bought by out-of-state investors before they're even built that wow. going to cash flow. They're not going to, they will lose money every month, just not like right on paper, not even like realistically, which means they're going to lose even more money. Um, and then there's huge um, home purchases that are happening in, in, in other neighborhoods where people are paying 20 or 30 percent above asking price. They're out of state investors again, and they're buying like 20, 30, 40 homes at a time at 20 or 30 percent above market rate. So the problem with all this is that you've got these investors that now have all these assets that are going to lose money. But the idea is always like, oh, well, it'll gain money over time. So I'll lose money for a couple of years and I'll sell it and I'll make a ton of money. But we got two problems. Number one, when you start having people not able to sell their home because of interest rates going up and all that kind of stuff, well, now the prices start going down. And number two, um, the rents don't usually keep up that quickly. I mean, they rents will go up over time, but it's not like, oh, well, this home's worth less money so no one's value so now rents are going to skyrocket they, they might a little bit but because you have so many people doing this at the same time you're kind of competing over the same number of renters assuming that you're not having a huge flood of people moving in there which you're not there 
So now you have this situation, you have all these people losing money on, on properties and sort of vying for the same renters. And then the problem is, is like, well, how long can you keep losing money on something? And it's like, well, okay, it's going to earn more money. Okay, but what if you overbuilt like they're probably doing? So now you have too much product and not enough renters. Now your property is not just losing 200 bucks a month, it's empty. So it's losing $2,000 a month. Well, how long can you lose $2,000 a month? Especially a lot of these people, they buy like three or four of these. Now you're losing $8,000 a month or $10,000 a month. That's a lot of money to lose a month. And then you can't refinance anymore because interest rates are higher and it's going to appraise for less. This is what happened. And it's it's people, we always talk about leverage in jujitsu. And I've said this forever, like leverage today, Mo, I didn't like leverage today. Because <laughs> Brandon had damn leverage on my arm. Like both, you said, it works both ways. It works both ways. Right? And you got to be on the good side of leverage, you man. The good side of leverage. And the problem uh -huh. is that people just think, oh, leverage, it's great. You use other people's money. Well, I don't know how many mob movies people have seen, but other people's money, they tend to want that money back at some point, which means you got to pay it up at some point. Is it just me or does it feel reminiscent of 2008? Does it feel like we're in a bubble, right? I mean, we certainly have had, we went through a pandemic and we had real estate prices continue to skyrocket like they've never skyrocketed before all over the country, not just here. I mean, obviously we live in, you know, we live in the Austin area and it's the, you know, the, the craziest thing ever, but this was happening in Dallas. This was happening in different places in New Jersey. My sister lives outside of Atlanta and fixer upper homes, like down to the studs, were selling for a hundred thousand dollars above asking price, like Crazy. within like six days. Like it's happening everywhere. So to me, it's possible that it could happen, that a recession and, could happen. And that's why I feel like that's a, it, we're in a bubble, is because typically, historically, when people are making money from, from not doing anything at all, yes, you know, you. You got to question that. Yeah. Those are red. Those are red flags, man. That's always my dream, of course. I want to like. I yeah. want to just be like, "What'd you do today? Nothing." But I'm worth more money. I don't know how. <laughs> but I mean, you're right because th that's the thing is people start. Um, they start like everything else. You get used to anything. They always said this like when people would go to prison or do like horrible things. Like you get used to anything. Well, that includes property gaining value and interest rates being low. Cause then you're always thinking, oh, I can sell this thing for this much and it'll sell fast because interest rates are low. But when interest rates start creeping up, it's like, well, maybe I can't sell it for as fast. And then soon you got to ask yourself the question, can I sell it for as much? Because if everyone gets nervous about lending, that does a couple things. Like number one, you have fewer people getting loans. And then you have people like me thinking about it going, mm, I'm not going to buy right now. I'm going to keep accumulating cash. I'm going to try and sell the things that I think I can sell um, and get more cash. And then I'm just going to kind of sit on the cash. So now you have fewer people even getting in the game, which means there's fewer buyers. And if there's fewer buyers and there's still as many sellers, well, now you're competing for buyers. So yes. it has a lot of these effects. And, and, and again, I, I mean, I know that everyone's been predicting it, but this is the first thing that I've personally encountered where I, I'm like, okay, I'm starting to feel like I'm seeing the signs. That's a flag. I mean, it's, a, it's yeah. let that be a sign to people. Uh, yeah. Interest rates are going up at the banks. Banks are making it harder for people to get money. It's a trickle effect. It's going to yeah. be harder for consumers to buy things. Businesses are going to make less profit. People are yeah. going to get laid off. And we're talking about it like, okay, that these are negative things. But for the person that works hard and is creative, and by no means, look, 
you didn't come, um, you know, you're self-made. I'm self-made. I, you know, we started our, uh, our, you know, we started our first business with five grand and we've turned that into whatever we turned it in uh, to now. Um, you got to be, it's not easy, but you got to be creative. And these are the opportunities when, when, when it's hard for everybody else. I, I, I love what you said. When it's hard for everybody else, that means there's less competition. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you can just sit on your hands and not do anything, right? Like you got to get out there and make it happen. But there is actually, I think, in a lot of times, there's more opportunity in a bad economy than yeah. there is in a good economy. The yeah. only reason it feels like there's more opportunity in a good economy is because everybody's making money by doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. My dog could make money in a good economy, right? And that's what 2008, a lot of people thought that they were really great business people, that they were great real estate investors. They rocked their Ferraris and their Lambos and, and they were doing uh, DVDs on like follow my program and they had only been in business for a year. They didn't, they yeah. knew nothing about real estate, yeah. but, it's but they made a lot of money. Yeah. And it's because like anybody could have made money during that time because banks were just giving out money to anybody who asked for it, yeah. right? Yeah. And they're not here anymore. Right, That's, they're not here. And, and it's it was long enough ago that people talk about it, but if somebody's like, let's say somebody's 35 right now. So 2008, 14 years ago, they were 21. It's like most people are not in business at 21. So they kind of knew about this thing or heard about it, but weren't affected by it. But the, the, the advantage of being older with that wisdom that you talked about is that, you know, I was probably older than 35 back then. So, I mean, like, so you, when, when you go through it once, um, you start seeing the signs again. And it's not going to be the same. I mean, it's never the same as, as it is. But I certainly think that um, they didn't change that much, considering how bad of a meltdown it was, like in terms of, I, I think banks are, are more thorough now than they were in 2007, 2008. But it's certainly loosened up a lot over the last you know, five, six years compared to how it was right afterwards. And it's certainly tightening up again. And, you know, the beautiful thing in my mind about real estate is that, you know, here you have what you buy something for, here you have what you can realistically sell it for, you know, within 60 days, let's say. This number, this sort of space between these two is this is your profit. So to me, it doesn't matter which way it is on this scale. It's like, okay, I buy it for 85, sell it for 125 or I buy it for 50 and sell it for 90. It's like, it doesn't really matter to me. It's just, it's the, the space in between the, what I bought it for and what I sold it for that will shift over time. And, and to me, it looks like it might be shifting a little bit the other way. And, and the idea of, okay, I'm going to have to buy this thing. Um, I'm going to be able to buy this thing a little bit easier, but it's going to be more creative to figure out how to sell it. Because right now, like selling stuff, like, I was literally selling homes that I didn't even have on the market to sell. Like my, I was leasing out this home in, in Belton and I had great tenants. I had no problems. And the the broker or the, the property management company was like, Hey, do you want to sell this home? I'm like, Oh, to the tenants? Like, no, no, just some other random person was wanting to know. I'm like, okay. So I sold it like in like a month, like for exactly what I wanted to sell it for to somebody when I never even put it on the market. Like that's how ridiculous it was to sell things, but to find a home like that to buy, oh man, that's a lot of work. So now maybe a little bit less work to buy it, but now to sell it, you may have to use the seller finance. You may have to sell it for less. You may have to figure out a way to work with your buyer because there's going to be yes. few buyers. So, so, you know, a good, um, 
I think relating that to jujitsu is um, as you have to be more creative, right? And this is where I see uh, people last longer in the games. They use that wisdom and experience, these older jujitsu practitioners. I think a great example, a really great example, and I've only had the chance to actually uh, attend a couple of his seminars uh, of this is Carlos Machado. Holy smokes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that guy is one of the hardest working guys uh, in jiu-jitsu. I mean, he, this guy gets on the road and he yeah. makes it happen and he, he deals with a lot of affiliates. Um, and obviously he has a, a, a passion to do that because at some point you'd burn out. And when you don't burn out, it just means that you love what you do and you don't look at it as work. Yeah. But I think a lot of people are like, when is this guy going to fall off his game? He's getting <laughs> old. You know, at some point I'm going to be able to have my way, man. Carlos has made it to where you see this guy and he does very little movement. Mm-hmm. Everything is very, very efficient because experience and wisdom have taught him like all that stuff I was doing when I was 21 was unnecessary. That movement there was unnecessary. That was just me expending unnecessary energy. And yeah. now I've learned how to be more efficient with my energy. So while people like Mo are going to be breathing hard trying to pass my guard, which yeah. I was dealing with, uh, with, with my, my brother Carter the other day, you know, you're going to be relaxed and, and setting up these traps. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's the same thing that you have to be doing now. You just, where, where age comes into play is that, Hey, look, uh, again, we're talking about the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over again. If that's you, yeah. then man, it's, it's going to be very, very hard to make money. But if you've been alive long enough to see these cycles before and to recognize these patterns, then you know what's to come and you can have a better plan in place. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, it's like knowing what you can control. We go back to the stoic ideas and and knowing what you can control and accepting that because a lot of this stuff from, you know, interest rates to wars in the Ukraine to to whatever it might be, this is relatively out of our control. Um, But understanding and trying to predict what the most likely reactions will be and how you can benefit the most from that. And I don't mean benefiting on somebody else's misery, but I mean that you got to take care of yourself. You got to take your family, your friends, your people. I mean, like this is important. This is like the way of the world and it always has been and always will be. So understanding like what things are coming and how do I best prepare for it, I think is important because it's it's something I think is happening. I, I really do. And I really haven't felt this way other than when COVID started. And that was such a unique thing. That was more of a, you know, pandemic tends to be every hundred years or so. I mean, we had the Spanish flu was kind of the last real worldwide pandemic and that was uh, 1918. So really almost exactly a hundred years ago um, versus recessions happen much more often much more often. I mean, it seems like, you know, there was a, a recession in the 2000, you had the, the, the bubble from um, the dot-com. Internet bubble, yeah. Early 90s was more of a uh, an oil recession. And then 87 was Black Monday. I mean, like, they happen much more often because people overextend. I mean, it's just sort of the the, the nature of, of cycles. It's like you start making money, you get people in there that think, oh, this is easy. Oh, you know, yeah. Now, I'm sorry to cut you off, but when you said overextend, Mm. Man, to, um, so Tom DeBlas, uh, when he's coaching, you'll hear him uh, tell some of his athletes, follow the six inch rule. Uh-huh. And I thought this was so interesting, dude. And I've implemented it in my own rolling. And I'm not as good as it. Like I, I break that rule every once in a while and I pay for it when I do. 
but basically the rule is that like you cannot allow you cannot allow your hands to extend six inches beyond your body, right? And in boxing, we have something else where we call reaching, make them reach. And if you make them reach, man, make them miss, make them pay. You know, they're usually off balance. They're in, they, they, they're, they're in a position, if you're making them reach, they, they can't hit you, but you can actually, you know, probably pull in and, and hit them. Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing with business. Yeah. If you're over leveraged, you're overextended, you're reaching, this is yeah. not good. And I think Warren Buffett said it best, you know, have more cash than you do leverage. Yeah. Leverage is not bad, but have more cash than you do leverage. Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, they use leverage, but yeah. they always have more cash than leverage. That's a good way of saying it. I like that. I think that's a, I think that's a mic drop right there. I like oh, it. Yeah. I don't know what episode this is, but it's, yeah. it's a great episode and you guys should definitely re-listen to it and check out our uh, other podcast before this. Go to Apple iTunes, like, review, subscribe. Also check us out on the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Uh, shout out to Robles, makers of the world's finest custom Jiu-Jitsu apparel. Nobody can be you better than you. Be authentic, Robles. Check out Yellow Pine Investments. Check out Chaparral Moving. Check out Sneaky Submissions with Kalem Callista. Check out Jiu-Jitsu on the Go with Steve Hordensky. That is my brother and partner in crime, Carter Fisk. I'm Mo, and as always, we thank you guys for listening. Take care. Thank you, guys. That's it for this episode of the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Your hosts are Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. This podcast is brought to you by Rulebliss, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. You can subscribe to the Rulebliss newsletter to get the exclusive content at rulebliss.com. You can find more episodes of this show on our website at thejujitsuoflife.com. And you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we wish you a great week, both on and off the mat.